1: Boston Astros open up their series against the Boston Red Sox with a defeat, but more importantly, they may have lost one of their members of their pitching rotation in the process. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond the Third, better known as RP3, joined here in the studios by, of course, the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names. We got a great show lined up for you today. Jim Gazzolo will join us at 7.30 this morning talking all things McNeese. Cowgirls are in an NCAA regional yet again. They're going to be up in Evanston, Illinois. Do they have a shot of winning that regional? They've never won a regional. In fact, a Southland Conference team has never won an NCAA softball regional. Will that change this week? Also, the McNeese baseball team number one seed in the Southland Conference Tournament. They begin play on Thursday, and Justin Hill has an opportunity, the skipper of the Cowboys, of setting a new record, one held by the late, great Tony Robichaud. We'll talk all things McNeese with Jim at 7.30 this morning. At 8 o'clock, Jarrett Rozier will join us. Lots of activity in the world of recruiting for LSU, and in particular for the Raging Cajun football teams. We'll break it all down with Jarrett when he joins us at 8 o'clock this morning. And then at 8.30, our buddy Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, it's NBA Draft Lottery Night tonight. Will the Pels get a great pick? They own the Lakers pick because of the trade with Anthony Davis. Do they have a chance to actually get a top three pick, top five pick? We'll break that down plus... Preview the conference finals. Heat Celtics begins tonight over in the east. Mavericks Warriors begins tomorrow night in the west. So those are our three guests that we got on tap for you this morning. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is always open. 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. We're going to talk LSU, Raging Cajun, and McNeese baseball as well and so much more. But we got to start off with what happened last night in the Houston Astros game. They lost the game, which is not even really the story. It just isn't. It's a first game of a series at Fenway Park against the Red Sox. But the big story is the fact that veteran starting pitching starting pitcher Jake Odorizzi, who appeared to have kind of turned a corner this season for the Stros, he looked rough early on but had a couple of quality starts under his belt, had to exit the game on a stretcher for a lower leg injury. He was covering first base in this game. Routine play, was just going over to do his job as the pitcher to cover first. And he just fell. And you saw it. He threw the pitch. No problems there. He leaves off the mound. He starts running towards first. And literally, he maybe takes two steps. It could have, could have been the way that he stepped off the mound. You're not really for sure. But the way that he literally only took two steps and then he just collapsed. When you see something like that, non-contact, as they like to call it, you fear the worst. You fear ACL. Tear is what you fear. The Astros deemed it officially as left lower leg discomfort. That's what manager Dusty Baker said afterwards. Odorizzi would be getting an MRI but they had to take him off on a stretcher off the field. They didn't even, they couldn't even help him up. This wasn't, hey, we'll just carry him off type of situation. No, they had to get the stretcher out. Baker said after the game, which was a 6 3 defeat for the Strohs, that Orderizi was on crutches in a walking boot, but in good spirits after the game. That tells me that. That's more than just a lower leg discomfort. They're being vague on purpose until they can do multiple MRIs to figure out exactly what's wrong with Jake. But the way he just all of a sudden just fell, just collapsed right to the ground and had to be helped off on a stretcher, that tells me that's more than likely some sort of knee issue. And he had been pitching extremely well. He entered the game on Monday at Fenway with a 15 and two-thirds inning shutout streak. But he appeared to twist that left leg. When he was throwing a pitch to Kiki Hernandez. And he took one step and then face down on the grass. That's. Obviously, you watch it, you know that he's in excruciating pain and he can't get up. I mean, anytime you see a perfectly healthy athlete just fall down face first, that's severe. I would expect him being done for the year. I would expect this to be some sort of ACL injury. And he's 32. He's 32, and that's going to make the recovery a little bit slower. He was 3-2 on the season, ERA of 3.38 and 17 strikeouts. Red Sox led 2-1 to one when he had to be taken off the field in this game. And then later, the game was tied 2-2 two, in two the sixth when it was delayed by rain. Eventually, they wrapped up the game, and the Red Sox won. As bad as this is for Jake, who, as I said before, appeared to have turned around his season, we talked about the depth of the Astros' pitching staff and how much that is needed. We made the argument that you could have six guys on this staff. Six. They have six starting pitchers. And they didn't have Lance McCullers Jr. back. Well, now you're going to lose order easy who is at the bottom of the rotation. So as much of a hit as this is, as depressing as this may be for Houston Astro fans this morning, and I get it, and and you feel terrible for Jake because you never want to see a guy get injured like that, just freakishly get injured and have their season ruined. The Astros may be okay. Once again, Jake wasn't their number one or even their number two or their number three. Heck, he wasn't even their number four. So he was just one of the extra guys that they had. And there had been talks whenever McCullers gets back, what are they going to do with Jake Odorizzi? Are they even going to have a place for him? Some Astro fans speculated that, hey, they could possibly trade him to get somebody else. So it's a loss for the Strohs because you lose a guy that was part of your rotation, but it's not one of your key guys. It's not one of your front-line starters of the rotation. This isn't losing Verlander. That's a whole different conversation that we'd be having this morning, and you'd feel like the sky is falling. Terrible, awful for Jake to get injured that way. And we'll get – an updated report more than likely today i would say probably by lunchtime on the status of jake and what how bad the injury really is or at least before their game maybe not around lunchtime maybe this afternoon that being said the astros are deep enough where they can kind of absorb this right they can kind of absorb the fact that They lost their guy to a freak injury. Once again, running to cover first base, not colliding with another player, nothing. He stepped off the mound and took one step, and that was it. So that tells me that when he stepped off, something happened where he just twisted his leg. And these things happen. That's why you can never have enough starting pitching in Major League Baseball. want to transition to something else that happened in Major League Baseball. We didn't get a chance to talk about it yesterday because it was a jam-packed edition of RP3 and company. But this happened over the weekend as well. And I regrettably did not get to it. The Cincinnati Reds, you could argue, are the worst team in Major League Baseball right now. They spent money in the offseason. They have woefully underperformed. Fans are beginning to boycott. They want to get rid of some of the ownership. They want to get rid of some of the players that are not drawing fans. It is awful in the Queen City. Over the weekend, the Reds stepped up on Sunday through a combined no-hitter. Combined no-hitter. This is something to get excited about. Hunter Green was sensational. Hunter Green and Art Warren combined to throw a no-hitter. Yet the Reds lost. Did not give up a hit, yet lost the game. One nothing to Pittsburgh Pirates, who were just as bad as the Cincinnati Reds. Rodolfo Castro scored the game's only run on a fielder's choice by Key Brian Hayes in the bottom of the eighth. That dropped the Reds to 9-26 and 26 on the season. Worst record in franchise history. They're on pace to have the worst record in franchise history. And how do you lose a game on Sunday when you throw a combined no-hitter? just a couple walks and that led to a fielder choice and just some absolute awfulness no hitter combined no hitter yet they lost the game only the Reds could find a way to do that this year
0: wow wow
1: No hitter, and you still lost the game. Unbelievable. Baseball is a crazy, crazy sport sometimes. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, we'll take your phone calls. Hotline's open. Of course, 337-706-0111. We're going to talk a little NBA playoffs and a little draft lottery. Conference finals tip off tonight. Miami, Boston, two really evenly matched teams. We'll break it down for you next. Also talk about the lottery. That's all coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the best local sports talk in Southwest Louisiana.
1: Game 1037 Lafayette on 1041 Lake Charles wants to upgrade your experience for Downtown Rising with the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. This is what you're going to get. You're going to uh, score a pair of VIP passes plus a chance to meet the headliners, the Cold War Kids. That's right. Cold War Kids, Downtown Rising, VIP passes. Simply register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. To win VIP passes for Downtown Rising featuring Cold War kids on Saturday, June the 4th. The ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience is presented by Social Entertainment, Radar Solutions, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, by the way, we'll also have a pair of Downtown Rising passes to give away later on in today's show. 7 o'clock hour. Shortly before 7.30, we'll unveil our trivia question of the morning. You answer it correctly by calling the game hotline, 337-706-0111. You'll win passes to go see Cold War kids in downtown Rising on June the 4th. That's coming up next hour. Let's talk a little NBA playoffs while we have a few minutes here. Conference finals are set. Western Conference will begin their action tomorrow night. Dallas Mavericks versus Golden State Warriors. Warriors have the trifecta of the vets that have been there, done that, have won the chips. Dallas does not, and they have a young superstar, a already a top 10 player in this league, in Luka. But that'll be tomorrow night. Tonight is going to be game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Miami Heat, your number one seed. A team that went to the NBA Finals two years ago. Looking to get back there again. Once again, both of these teams are extremely similar. They both play, at times, very good defense. Marcus Smart is the Defensive Player of the Year. First guard to win that award. The Boston Star, since Gary Payton did. Back in the day, in the 90s. So... They both play defense. Neither one of them has a superstar on the roster, right? They have what we would call very good players, guys that are usually considered in the from 10 to 15 range in the pecking order of best players in the NBA. Jimmy Butler, I'd love Jimmy Butler on my team. He's a dog. He gets after it. Sometimes he rubs teammates the wrong way, but He's the type of guy that you want on your team. And they've surrounded nice pieces around Miami. Boston probably has a little bit more star power. Jason Tatum feels like he's evolving into that fringe superstar level in the NBA. But the two things that stick out to me about both of these teams, they both play defense. They both have a lot of depth. They don't depend on one guy to get them buckets. They're not a one-man show. They very much play team basketball, so to speak. Watching what's going to happen with Jimmy Butler versus Jason Tatum. And this is also a wildly even series. Odds on the Eastern Conference Finals has Miami winning 51%. This is essentially a coin flip series here just really is. And here's an interesting thing as well. A little rivalry is brewed up here. Because since 2005, no teams have been in the East Finals more than the Heat and the Celtics. And Miami, of course, is the top seed. So they'll welcome in Boston down there to South Beach for the first couple games. The Heat are making their eighth appearance in 18 seasons, while the Celtics are making their seventh in the past 15. And Miami's trying to make it to the NBA Finals for the sixth time in the past 12 years, and the first time since beating Boston, if you remember, in 2020, inside the bubble down there in Orlando during the COVID-19 impacted season. Boston's also going to be trying to snap a streak of four straight losses in the conference finals, including two at the hands of the Heat in the 2011-12 season and the 2019-20 season. So Boston, with all its tradition, its big roadblock in the postseason has been the Miami Heat. Grant Williams is a key X-factor for me in this series. How is he going to match up? Is he going to be one of those guys that's going to be able to step up for Boston? You know Tatum's going to get his. You know Marcus Spart and Jalen Brown, the the kind of the big three, if you will, for Boston. They're going to get theirs. Grant Williams could be a big X factor in this series because the great thing about Grant is, is that he can also shoot from the outside. Now, for Miami, you already talked about Jimmy Butler. He's a dog what's going to be happening with Kyle Lowry now he's their point guard acquisition uh, you know a- acquisition of theirs in the offseason we still don't know as it stands right now what his status is it's unclear he's missed he's missed 6 of Miami's past 8 playoff games due to a nagging hamstring injury he suffered in game 3 of the first round And Kyle's also a little bit older. It's going to take longer to recover. Now, Miami didn't need him, but if they're going to beat Boston and move on to the NBA Finals, they're going to need Kyle Lowry. That could be a huge part of this series because he's a big part of what they do offensively. And look, the Heat were able to get past the Atlanta Hawks because the Hawks won the play-in. Games to get in to be the eight seed. They were able to get past Trey Young in Atlanta. And then the 76ers. But the 76ers also had Joel Embiid get injured in that series. Missed a couple games and James Harden was a no-show. This is not what they're going to face starting tonight against Boston. They're a far tougher team. Far more disciplined team. And far deeper team than they faced of any other in the postseason so far. And... The thing for the Celtics, we talked about how both teams play defense. Boston has been the best defensive team in the NBA in the final 35 games of the regular season. They closed out strong. They had a rough start of the season, but they figured out how to play on offense and in particular on defense last third of the season. And you saw that. And you saw what Boston was able to do. Yes, Giannis... The Greek freak went off in that seven-game series against Milwaukee. And they couldn't really stop him all that much, could they? I mean, Robert Williams III could play some, but they really weren't able to slow down Giannis. But the key in that series is that Boston had better depth. Milwaukee was out with without Chris Middleton – that played a huge role in that series. Can Miami beat Boston without Lowry? Because you know Boston's going to queue up on Jimmy Butler the whole series. So it'll be interesting to see. Butler has been on a tear in these playoffs, averaging nearly 29 points, 8 rebounds, and 5 assists a game while shooting 52.5% from the field. And he's getting to the free throw line nearly 8 times a game. That's going to be the focus for Boston is stopping Jimmy Butler. Once again, Eastern Conference Finals, Miami, Boston, they will tip off tonight. Also happening tonight in the association, NBA draft lottery. You have 13 teams and 14 spots. Oklahoma City Thunder have two lottery picks. So you have 13 teams that are going to be battling it out to figure out the lottery draft position. Can the Pelicans do the unthinkable? Once again, they have the pick from the Los Angeles Lakers due to the Anthony Davis trade. So that's automatically you're going to have a lottery pick. Top 14 players drafted every year are lottery picks. Now, there's some good talent coming out of the college ranks and the international ranks for this draft. You'd like to get one of those top four, top five picks because most experts believe it drops off a little bit after that. But if you're the Pelicans, you are a team that made the playoffs this past season. You made the play-in tournament. You overcame the horrible start. You overcame not having Zion. You found a way to kind of come together. The C.J. McCollum trade played a huge role in that. You came together, you won the two play-in tournaments, and then you pushed Phoenix in the opening round series. So, great foundation season. Can a top five pick be the missing piece for this team with a healthy Zion Williamson in tow for next season? We'll find out. Draft lottery is tonight, 8 o'clock, live from Chicago. They'll mix it up. Ping-pong balls will help decide. Who's going to be drafting where? Once again, only 13 teams involved this year because Oklahoma City Thunder have two lottery picks. And that leads us to our poll question of the day. What are the chances that the Pelicans are going to land a top pick? Where do you think the Pelicans are going to land with tonight's NBA lottery? Right now, tied at 35% apiece. Going to land somewhere between picks two and five or picks six and 10, 20% of you say at the back end of the lottery, picks 10 through 14, and 10% of you are extremely hopeful that they'll have the number one overall pick. Ton on Twitter says, they say lightning never hits the same place twice. The Empire State Building is hit by lightning an average of 25 times per year. Number one pick incoming, I hope. Ton with the positivity to start off the day. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I agree with Ton, he's so smart. He also says it would be so nice to get that high lottery pick from the failed kingdom of LeBron. Yeah, because the Lakers don't have that pick. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Once again, where will the Pelicans land with tonight's NBA lottery? We got to take a timeout. But not to worry. We're going to be coming right back. We'll take your phone calls as well. Hotlines open 337-706-0111. When we return... We'll hear from Matt Dex, Raging Cajun's baseball coach. We'll hear from Justin Hill, Big East Cowboys baseball coach. Big week for both coaches and their teams. That's coming up next right here on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette, One zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: Isn't it? Maybe.
2: Probably.
0: Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports Station. station.
1: Want to see the Astros in person? Then listen up. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston's going to be taking on the Chicago White Sox. That's right, the Southsiders come to town Saturday, June 18th, and you can be there in person. Go register in the game clubhouse right now at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. So once again, we're getting get you four tickets. See Strohs, White Sox, Saturday, June 18th. You're going to get a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark. And on top of it, we're throwing in hotel accommodations. Yeah, that sounds awesome, because it is. Astros Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Le Meridian Houston Downtown, and The Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Once again, our latest Astros Weekend Getaway. You can score it by signing up for the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041 thegamecom So go sign up today. It's free to do so. That way you can be our latest Astros giveaway winner. Let's talk a little bit more baseball, shall we? Raging Cajuns had a humbling weekend last weekend. Go to San Marcos. They feel fairly confident after taking both games against Rice in the midweek series. But Texas State is really good. They're the best team in the Sunbelt Conference for a reason. And they had some moments there where maybe they could have stolen a game. Maybe. But it became pretty apparent that Texas State was just better. Sometimes this just happens. The other team's just better. And they are. And Texas State's also really good at home in San Marcos. And they have a great combination of great hitting and great pitching. Sometimes it's that simple. Texas State's just the better team. And now, if you're the Raging Cajuns, Matt Deggs' team, you're going to have to make an adjustment because you're building some momentum there. You get humbled with a sweep, but you still have four regular season games left before the Sunbelt Conference Tournament takes uh, place in Montgomery at the home of the Biscuits. And Deggs was asked yesterday during his weekly press conference with only four games left, tonight at the Teague against Nichols, their final midweek non-conference game of the season. Then they have a three-game set against Little Rock this coming weekend. You know, what's the emphasis that he's giving to his team heading into this final week of the regular season?
3: Well, I think experience, you know, we've been in this situation many times and been a part of teams that have bailed themselves out, uh, via the tournament. And so, uh, there's a, there's a track record there, but you've got to, we've got to go out and make plays and pitches and, uh, get it done and big at bats. And so that tournament will be a dog fight boy. Uh, cause this league's been pretty competitive all year. And so, uh, but first things first, we can finish really strong this week. This week will be a test, right, because there's some letdown and uh, there's some really scrappy teams coming in here. And so we need to be uh, ready to counter that and play some really good baseball.
1: Now, he said how much of a dogfight he expects the tournament to be, and I agree with him. Texas State's the best team. They have separated themselves. They're 23-4 and four in conference play. They're 41-11 and 11 overall they they're a really good team. But then after that it's kind of muddled, right? Everyone's kind of lumped together. Georgia Southern's there 20 and 7 in conference play, Coastal Carolina 19 and 7 in one, and then Louisiana. Okay, the Cajuns are still fourth. And even if they drop a game to Little Rock, it doesn't really matter this coming weekend because they just need to win one game of the 3-game series against the Little Rock to go ahead and lock up the fourth spot in the conference tournament. So it looks like they're going to be locked in as a four seed for the conference tournament. They would have liked it to have been better, but they can still do that. But you look at this, if Texas State has a bad day, which happens in baseball, someone else could win this tournament. Somebody else could win this tournament. So, the Raging Cajuns, 30 and 20 overall, 17 and 10 in conference play. And look, they could make some noise. We've seen them get hot during the season. RPI is still pretty good, but they're going to have to make a run in Montgomery if they want an opportunity to be able to, to get into an NCAA regional. And this being the final week and facing some lackluster competition. Nichols is not a great team. And Little Rock isn't great either. They're towards the bottom of the Sunbelt Conference standings. Is he going to be resting any players this week? And this is what Deggs had to say about that.
3: I don't think so. Uh, they might try to fight me in the dugout. I mean, they, these guys like to play. You know, obviously you're not resting Rock or Julian. You're not going to take TR off the field or Shock. He needs to develop. You know, Kemp's had a awesome year. So... You know, our our core guys is what it is, and I'm gonna ride that until you know, can't do it no more.
1: That's not how Deggs is built, first of all, to rest guys. And this team, and I've said it before, this feels like the this feels like finally this is Matt Deggs' team. The guys aren't gonna do that, right? They're just not. They're not gonna wanna say, Hey, skip, let's have a day off. It's not how they're built. That's not how he runs his team. So not surprised whatsoever by that now the pitching has been a question mark on and off throughout the season we know this team can rake carson rockeford is special guy's going to be all conference maybe even all american but the pitching has been eh, has been off at times this is what Deggs had to say about overall the staff heading into the final week of the regular season.
3: I think, you know, you start looking at laying the groundwork for how you want to attack this tournament and seeing how it's going to play out. And it'll be a matchup situation for us. I don't think we have a definitive clear-cut, just stopper, you know. And so I think it's going to play out into a matchup-type scenario. And I might get outside the box with it. I don't know. But we have, you know, seven or eight guys that we've gone to a lot. And we're going to have to use them judiciously, if you will, uh, to get through something like this unless we just bang our way through it, which you can do. I mean, we've done. It happens. But going through the league, there's going to be a grinder.
1: Yeah, you heard him. He said, look, if you don't, you're going to have to bang your way through it. They they have the bats to do that. But he would love the pitching to be able to come around for them not to have to be regulated to just out hitting and, you know, out slugging everyone they face. Tommy Ray is an interesting name because he's someone that has come on and and Deggs was asked directly yesterday, could Tommy become that fourth pitcher for this staff as they wrap up the regular season and head into the Sunbelt Conference Tournament?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's hit and miss, you know. You don't kind of need a magic eight ball. I got a joke. I always say, text me, man text me when you wake up I tell some of the hitters that when I start seeing their BP that day why don't you text me put you in a lineup so much of this game is confidence driven though and the spots that you're in you need to really take a long hard look at what spot was he in and then what happened when this happened or that happened
1: so that's a non-answer (laughs) <laughs> I mean, look, it, it, Tommy has stepped up when he's called on, but that's Deggs' way of saying, look, you got to really kind of look at the moments and everything like that, do a deeper dive. So that's really kind of his non-committal way of saying, eh, probably not. Once again, Cajuns take on Nichols tonight. They're at the Teague, and then they'll gear up for a three-game set to wrap up the regular season against Little Rock. The McNeese baseball team, meanwhile, because of the way the Southland Conference is designed this year, They're doing their conference tournament this week. And they have an interesting thing. McNeese won the regular season championship. So they're your number one overall seed. But they're going to have the conference tournament at two separate sites. Half the games, half the bracket's going to be in Lake Charles at the Joe. The other half's going to be held in Hammond where southeastern Louisiana plays. And it's an interesting kind of approach to it. Once again, this is a transitional year overall for the Southland conference they lost teams they nearly lost McNeese now they're trying to get teams back they're trying to add to their conference it's a weird transitional year for the Southland but it is an interesting format where you're going to have games going on at two different locations for your conference tournament and Justin Hill spoke with the media yesterday and he gave insight on having two different sites for the conference tournament
4: well you know whether it was here or not, I, I like the idea of the tournament. I mean, the way it is, the two sites, I think it has a chance to highlight the teams. You could be, enjoy your stay a little bit different. Two games a day versus four games, trying to jam them in. Uh, I, I like the opportunity to, to earn the right to host. That's kind of fun. The two sites, the uniqueness, obviously reward the, the eight teams that, that stuck it out through the challenging situations that the conference was having. Uh, so that was something we wanted to do. I, I don't like the, the one less week uh, of regular season play. I mean, you know, because I think we only finished with 51 games. Where you know normally we'd have to try to finish with 56, but uh, that's just kind of how it worked this year. You know, the extra midweek games. I don't think that's sta- I don't know if it's sustainable. Uh, if it's going to stay with a 13-week season versus a 14-week, it's just too hard to jam all those games in there. But uh, as far as where it is, I think it was the right thing for this year. I got to give Bobby Barbier, head coach at Northwestern, credit for coming up with this idea and this concept, and uh, all of our coaches were involved in it. And uh, I think it's got a chance to be fun and really highlight the league.
1: Yeah, it it came out of necessity. They had to figure out something because of the low numbers. They were gonna lose a week of their regular season, and this is kind of neat. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm I'm usually old school traditional guy, but I like how this is setting up. And you know what? Hill's team had its peaks and valleys this season, right? They lost stars, they lost studs in the pitching rotation, they had to figure that out. They had injuries to their everyday starting lineup, and it was up and down season. But just like last year, they closed out strong, and Hill, you know what? He loves what his team's offense has been able to become over the course of the season.
4: Yeah, right now I love this offense and what they're doing. Um, and we, you know, we always believed that what we were capable of doing, but it's always the the continuity of the lineup. And you know, we thought we if I if I'd have told you opening weekend, hey, what's the one thing you know? It's like, hey, Trey Obergon's going to hit into three or four. You know, we knew that. Well, then all of a sudden he doesn't, and you know it takes a while for guys to get get adjusted to each other, how the lineup you know kind of works you know together you know rather than being a collection of hitters and being a total team offense but, you know and we had a tough tough go of it against Northwestern too with with payday out for those two games you know obviously he he came back with a vengeance you know the, the good thing about that one the, with kind of having length in the lineup is that there doesn't have all the pressure on just one or two guys kind of kind of get them from anywhere uh, everybody just plays plays really well in their role i mean we had a couple of times where reed bork you know um just beats out a couple infield hits just because he's fast and he plays hard and
1: look this team had to overcome a lot had to overcome injuries and here they are regular season champs and they'll have a chance to punch their ticket to an ncaa regional and they'll be able to do so from the confines of the joe in front of the home crowd should be a Uh, awesome environment once again McNeese is your top seed they're going to play incarnate word at six o'clock on Thursday first day of the conference tournament from that location once again they don't have to squeeze in four games like Hill said it's two games a day at each site so McNeese will play their first game Thursday night six o'clock when they take on the eight seed incarnate word there at the Joe we got to take a timeout We'll come back. We'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up our number one. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you're going to have an opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. That's right, delicious Gulf seafood. We want to help you take your lady out for some delicious seafood, but you can only win that $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House by joining the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. And look, just go to the website, click on the Rewards Club tab, and you can sign up. It's easy. It's free. Two huge hurdles right there that you don't have to worry about. And once you become a member, you can enter to win great stuff like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. That can help you out with your date night blues. But you can only win that bad boy by becoming a member of our clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today. It's free to do so. 656 here on this Tuesday morning. Delightful show so far. Covered a lot of ground. Talking NBA playoffs, conference finals beginning, Houston Astros lost last night to the Boston Red Sox, and they lost more than likely Jake Odorizzi for the rest of the year. He was stepping off the mound to go cover first base, where he abruptly fell down and fell on his face and had to be taken off the field with a stretcher. So, how much does that impact the Strohs? We'll find out. But we also have a poll question of the day. Where will the Pelicans land with tonight's NBA lottery? Once again, the lottery is tonight, 8 p.m. 11% of you say number one pick. 41% say picks two through five. 39% of you say picks six through ten. And 9% of you say they'll be at the back end of the lottery. Picks ten through fourteen. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. <laughs>
0: Live from the Delta, Delta Media Studios, Studios in, in Upper Lafayette, Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your, and your big, baseball, bald, beautiful, beautiful host, host, Raymond Parks III, better known as RP3.
1: Good morning. Welcome back to RP3 and Company, 703 here on this Tuesday edition of our show. Coming up in half an hour from right now. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Technical issues now have been resolved. Coming up in half an hour from right now. Jim Gazzolo will be joining us, talking all things McNeese Athletics. Once again, softball team is in the Evanston Regional Do they have a chance? They've never won a regional. Now, they've won regional games. Five of them, I do believe, in their history. But they've never won an actual regional. And a Southland conference team's never won a regional, period. Could McNeese be the first team to do so? Also, McNeese baseball. Hosting the conference tournament there at the Joe, at least half the bracket. Can Justin's Hill team make a run? Can they win the whole thing and punch their ticket to an NCAA regional for the third straight year? Also, interesting to note with Justin is if he wins, if McNeese beats Incarnate Word Thursday night at the Joe, he will tie, tie Tony Robichaux's record for most wins in program history. Which means two wins, and he's the all-time leader. That's going to be a huge milestone, one that he's not really dwelling on or talking about. He says they're just focused on winning the first game, which is the right thing to say and the right mindset to have. But I didn't think that mark would be touched, but Justin Hill's done a very nice job in a short amount of time there in Lake Charles guiding the Cowboys. Because anytime you're going to have your name alongside Tony RoboShow. That's a great accomplishment. But Jim Gozzolo from the Lake Charles American Press will break down all things McNeese for us coming up half an hour from right now here on the show. Also, baseball news yesterday, not good for the Strohs. Not because they lost. That's never a good thing. But now they've lost one of their pitchers likely for the year. We won't find out until we get a medical report and an update this afternoon before the Astros take on the Red Sox. They'll play once again tonight from Boston. 6'10 first pitch. You can listen to that game, Strohs-Red Sox, on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. But we'll find out a report more than likely this afternoon when Dusty Baker talks to the media, or if the Astros send out a release before then. Once again, Jake Odorizzi in last night's game had stepped off the mound, and he was going towards first base to cover first base. He took one step off the mound and then fell right on his face. They're calling it a lower leg injury. But anytime you see someone non-contact make that move that he did, fall down face first and had to be helped off the field on a stretcher. And then afterwards, we're told he's on crutches and in a walking boot. That's more than a twisted ankle. That's more than likely probably an ACL or MCL type of injury. We won't know. We don't want to speculate. We'll find out more today. And of course, as soon as we find out something about Jake Odorizzi, we'll pass that along to you live right here on the game. Jake had turned things around. Entering last night's game, he had a streak of more than 15 innings of shutout ball. He had a rough start to the season. And he hasn't been great for the Strohs since coming over. But the veteran... 32 years old, had seemingly turned a corner. And the great thing for the Astros was it was all just Lanyap, right? Because he was really their fifth or sixth best pitcher they had in their rotation. We talked about what was Dusty going to do as the season progressed, because obviously, look, Verlander's your number one. We know that. Former MVP, former Cy Young, future Hall of Famer. Then you build around that. Urquidy, who will be pitching tonight in Boston. Garcia from Valdez. And Odorizzi was in the mix. Really is the number five, maybe even the number six. And Lance McCullers Jr. Has still yet to pitch. They expect him to come back this year. So really, you lose Odorizzi, but you'll get Lance McCullers Jr. back later in the year. Kind of a wash. McCullers is a better pitcher than Odorizzi as well. But as bad of an injury as this is, and as bad as it was to watch, and if you're catching the game, you saw it, and look, he just steps off and he just falls down. You're like, oh, you just go, oh, that's, that, that's awful. You could just tell. As bad as it is, you still have five other guys that can go out there and pitch. That's all about the depth that this team has in particular with his pitching staff. We focus so much on Pena, the young man at shortstop, the rookie, who is an early favorite to win rookie of the year in the American League. He replaces Carlos Correa. It makes sense. You get that. And you look at the lineup, and it's a murderer's row. Altuve, Alex Bregman, Michael Brantley. Shout out to Yuli Gurriel for having a good Sunday, right? He'd been slump. Looked like Father Time had caught up with him but he had a really good game, had a good weekend. Sometimes that's all it takes. We heard James Yasko talk about it on the show last week that Yuli just had been a little unlucky as well. But he is also the old man of the group. But yet, Gordon Alvarez, you have a slew of guys, Kyle Tucker, that can rake on the Astros. But the pitching, man, the pitching is what has been Really impressive. Especially once the calendar turned to May and they turned things on. And the Strohs are more than just Justin Verlander. They are. Garcia's pitched well. Urquidy has pitched well. Framer Valdez has pitched well. They got guys. They got guys. So... I believe they can absorb the loss of Jake Odorizzi, who was really their number five, maybe their number six pitcher in their rotation. They're still going to get Lance McCullers Jr. back, and you just hope for the best for Jake in his recovery. Once again, Strohs, Red Sox tonight. Urquidy's going to be on the bump for Houston. You can listen to that game live on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM, the talk of Acadiana. This week is critical in college baseball. We briefly talked about McNeese, heard from Justin Hill last hour as well from his weekly press conference. We also heard from Matt Deggs, the Raging Cajun skipper. McNeese has an opportunity to punch their ticket to an NCAA regional. That yeah, Look, that alone, you understand what's at stake there. For LSU and UL, though, it's going to be an interesting week. Cajuns didn't drop in their RPI. Despite being swept by Texas State, it did not devastate them, right? They didn't plunge in the latest RPI rankings. Now, RPI does not necessarily determine who gets into the field, but it is a good indicator of where teams stand and what their chances are. And the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns didn't move in the RPI. They've always been on the bubble, so to speak, when it came to the RPI. Last week, they were 56. After being swept by Texas State, you know where they're at? 56. So they didn't move. Getting a couple wins, if they would have won that series, they would have bumped up and improved their standing and getting an at-large bid for an NCAA regional, but that didn't happen. But they weren't devastated by it. Now, if they lose two of three to Little Rock, that's a different story. They're going to plummet with their RPI. But they still have a chance to end the regular season strong. Maybe end it with four straight wins. That would begin tonight versus Nichols at the Teague. And then the three-game set against Little Rock. And then go to the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, more than likely as the number number four seed, and make a run. And you never can know what happens at a conference tournament. Crazy things do happen. So they could put together a run. But they didn't necessarily damage their chances. They still have a chance of getting in to the NCAA regional. But they can't afford to have any slip-ups this week. None whatsoever. And they're going to have to put together a run. I think getting to the championship game may be enough to sneak in. Jay Walker joined us yesterday, the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. He says he believes the Cajuns now, since they were swept by Texas State, will have to win the conference tournament to get to into a regional. I, I could see that as well. But no more losses for the Cajuns. That's where they stand. By being swept by Texas State, you've painted yourself into a corner now, but you still have a chance. LSU, meanwhile, is going to be in an NCAA regional. That's has not changed. But after suffering their first sweep at home in Baton Rouge to Ole Miss in program history, hosting a regional is probably out of the realm of possibilities. They began before the weekend. LSU was around like sixteen, 17. They're 37 now in RPI. Being swept by Ole Miss, who admittedly has been playing better baseball and who themselves now stand at 38 in the RPI, latest RPI rankings by the NCAA. Ole Miss has turned their season around where it looked like they were going to fire their coach and move on from their longtime coach and not make a postseason tournament. Sure does look like Ole Miss is found a way. Found a way. LSU is going to have to work at it to get back on that regional line. Once again, I've said it before. The NCAA would love LSU to host a regional because they know it's going to be box office. They know they're going to sell out. They know it's going to be electric at Alex Box Stadium. But right now, they can't in good conscience give LSU a regional because they just were swept by Ole Miss. LSU... Does have a midweek game, unlike some teams like Ole Miss that canceled their midweek game against a team with a bad RPI ranking in the last week of the regular season. A lot of teams decided to do that this week. LSU decided not to. They're not going to do that. They're taking on Northwestern State. They're at Alex Box Stadium. You can listen to that game live right here on the game. First pitch set for 6.30. All that said, Northwestern State's not going to help them. They have to play at Vandy. Is taking a series against a down Vanderbilt team going to be enough to put them back in a position to host an NCAA regional? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I think they're going to have to make a run at the SEC tournament in Hoover. Vandy's a little down this year. They're playing better, just like Ole Miss has been playing better. Vandy has been playing better. It it, it can't hurt them if LSU can go into Nashville and take two or three. But I still think they're going to have to make a run in Hoover at the SEC tournament to have themselves in a position to be a regional host. Is LSU making in a regional? Absolutely. There'll be a two-seed somewhere. But the likelihood of them being able to host a regional there in Baton Rouge may have disappeared over the weekend with that sweep at the hands of Ole Miss. But once again, just a reminder, LSU baseball tonight versus Northwestern State right here on the game. six thirty first pitch. Over on our sister station, we got live baseball action for you as well. 6.10 first pitch from Fenway Park. Strohs, Red Sox. Urquidy is going to be on the bump for the Strohs, you can listen to that on our sister station, News Talk 985 FM. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day. Phone lines are open. Hotline, give it a call. 337 706 0111. That's 337 706 0111. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May seventeenth, nineteen ninety-eight. New York Yankees pitcher David Wells tosses a perfect game in a four-to-nothing victory over the Minnesota Twins at Yankee Stadium. At the time, the perfect game was only the fifteenth in Major League Baseball history. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Just a few minutes away from us unveiling our trivia question this morning. To help put a pair of tickets in your hands for Downtown Rising featuring Cold War kids. We gave a pair of tickets away yesterday on our show. We gave another pair of tickets away on the afternoon. We're going to do that all week. Every weekday morning, this weekend, next week on RP3 and Company. We're giving tickets away for Downtown Rising featuring Cold War kids. Doing the same thing on the afternoon show with Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Coming up, we're going to unveil that poll question of the day. First correct answer. By calling into the hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You answer it correctly. First one to do so, boom. Going to win a pair of tickets to go see Cold War kids at Downtown Rising. That's coming up just in a few minutes. Right now, though, let's talk a little Raging Cajun softball. They are gearing up for NCAA regional play over in South Carolina. Going to the Clemson Regional. Now, some people were a little eh, not so happy about the Raging Cajuns getting a three seed, but it really doesn't matter, right? Two-three matchup. You get to avoid the one seed in the opening game anyway, and you're going to have to beat all those teams to make a run and win the Regional no matter what. Raging Cajuns were the only team out of the Sunbelt Conference also to earn a spot in a Regional, so... That tells you what the committee thought about the Sun Belt this year, and the Sun Belt was down, let's be fair. But the Cajuns are going to be taking on Auburn in the first game. That's a 3-2 matchup, and then Clemson's going to be playing in the other game. This is a winnable regional. Now, do I think it's difficult for all three state teams to win their regionals? Yes. Cajuns are the three seed over in Clemson Regional. McNeese is the three seed in the Evanston regional and LSU is the two seed in the Tempe regional. I think it's going to be difficult no matter what for all three teams, but they do seem to be winnable because none of those teams are dominant teams. It's not like you're playing Alabama or Oklahoma here. You're playing teams that are hosting regionals, which means they're good, but they're not dominant. Could play a factor, could play a big role. Now, the big story about the Cajuns are will they have their head coaching toll? Jerry Glasgow has COVID. We found that out on Sunday. He won't be cleared to rejoin the team until Thursday, so still maybe up in the air, depending on how he's progressing. So the assistant coaches will have to step up and lead this team, including Justin Robichaud. And he met with the media yesterday during the Raging Cajuns weekly press conference. And he described what the roles are going to be like this week with Jerry facing the COVID protocols.
5: Yeah, on the pitching side, it's, it's, you know, we've, for the most part, I've been with them, you know, since the fall. On the offensive side, it gets kind of tricky. And Coach, coach has his, his uh, philosophy on preparation and getting ready. The preparation doesn't change. It really wouldn't matter who we're playing rolling up to either the conference tournament or the regional to, to answer your question on that. But the, the communication is going to be, you know, interesting, but this is probably one of the most mentally resilient teams that I've ever been around. I think that's their secret sauce moving forward. And this is just, this is just another day for them to be quite honest with you. You know, we, uh, Lacey does a really good job of communicating with coach as well as myself. And, you know, the idea is to not miss a beat, to continue to move forward.
1: And this team has grown up. They're very young, very inexperienced. right? They only have a few veterans on this roster. And there was a point in the season where they were losing games, not losing series, but losing games to some of the worst teams in the Sunbelt Conference, and you're like, eh, these are growing pains. We could see that longstanding winning streak of Sunbelt Series victories come to an end. But it didn't. They found a way. They pushed through. They got better. They matured as the season went along. And yet, here they are yet again in an NCAA regional. And uh, I'll say it again. It's a winnable regional. And But they got some tough teams in there, right? Clemson, Auburn. And Robichaux gave his early thoughts on what those two possible roadblocks to advancing to a super regional, present
5: Clemson. We're really not looking them right now. Heavy Auburn. We're going to go in there with the preparation that we've we've done throughout the throughout the lifespan of the season. I know they can pitch it really well. They got a their their number one establishes up in the zone with some hard stuff. I think she's 70, 71 miles an hour pitching up in the zone. Offensively, they got some girls that slug. They're heavy right-handed in the order i think they got two lefties that that are the mainstay and then on the clemson side of things i know they like to create chaos a very fast team they're very dynamic on the base pass they kind of resemble us to a degree but when it comes to auburn i mean you can never take anybody lightly that plays in the sec and then clemson somebody in the acc so i think both those contests are going to come down to a tight game so to speak
1: This is also an interesting year for the Raging Cajuns because they have multiple pitchers. Now, they've had sometimes one or two girls or they have one primary. For most of Summer Ellison's career with the Raging Cajuns, the former Turlings Catholic star, it was just her. And then she got some help from time to time, limited help. They have multiple pitchers now. They have three. They have three legit pitchers which is the first time we've seen that during the Jerry Glasgow era where they they can throw out multiple girls, which helps them in a regional because if one girl has an off day, you have someone else that can come in that is a starter that can eat up a ton of innings. This could be a huge benefit, huge asset for – the Raging Cajuns in the Clemson Regional this coming weekend. And Robert show talked about, you know, what's the idea, so to speak, behind the team's pitching situation heading into the Regional?
5: The the idea behind it is I wanted to get Kendra with enough experience that she could start, she could relieve, and she could close. I wanted to get Megan Shorman enough experience that she could start, she could relieve, and she could close. And I want to get Sam Landry enough experience that she could start, she could relieve, and she can close. And, and if you look back to the beginning of the year, I think we've done that for the most part. Their innings, for the most part, are kind of evened out between Sam, uh, Megan, and Kendra. And the beautiful part of that is they can come in at any point in time in the game to change momentum, which I think is a blessing. At the end of the day... Uh, I don't I don't know how many teams in the country have that luxury. Um and when you have a Cadillac, you know, you you drive it. You know what I'm saying? So that's what that's a thought process behind it.
1: Jerry let him come in and do that. And it's benefited the team because of it. As you just mapped it out, they have three girls, three young women that they can throw out there. They can start for them. They can eat up middle relief innings and can close for them. All three know how to do it. That gives you immense versatility. And that's going to pay off in a big way, possibly this weekend in South Carolina at the Clemson Regional. Time for our trivia question. The first correct answer to, to this morning's trivia question here on rp3 and company you call us up hotline is 337-706-0111 that's 337-706-0111 call the number give the correct answer to producer extraordinaire hannah five names and you will win a pair of tickets to downtown rising featuring cold war kids here's your trivia question to win those tickets Who threw the first no-hitter in Houston Astros history? Who threw the first no-hitter in Houston Astros history? Give us a call. Game hotline, 337-706-0111. First correct caller will win those tickets to Downtown Rising. Once again, who threw the first no-hitter in Houston Astros history? First correct answer, call the hotline 337-706-0111. we got to take a timeout. When we return, Jim Gozolo That's right, the great one from the Lake Charles American Press. We're going to talk all things McNeese. That's coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Yep. -hmm. Back to more of the game. One Oh three, seven Lafayette and one Oh four, one Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: We have a winner. Didn't have to wait long. Yesterday, multiple phone calls. Lots of you jumped in with good answers, but not the right ones. We had a winner right off the bat. The answer to our trivia question, by the way, who threw the first no-hitter in Houston Astros history was Don Notbart. 4-1 decision. That's when they were still the Colt 45s back in the day before they became the Houston Astros. First no-hitter in franchise history thrown there in a 4-1 win against the Philadelphia Phillies back in May 17th of 1963. So congrats to our contest winner. They won a pair of tickets to go see Cold War Kids, your headliners for Downtown Rising. Not to worry. We'll have another pair of tickets to give away this afternoon on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mess. Make sure to tune in for that. And we'll also have another pair to give away tomorrow morning right here on RP3 and Company. But right now, it's time for us to talk all things cowpokes. McNeese softball team playing in the Evanston Regional. The McNeese baseball team gearing up for the Southland Conference Tournament as the number one overall seed, playing their games, half of the bracket at the Joe starting on Thursday. To break it all down for us it's the man who covers McNeese athletics like no one else. Our good friend from the Lake Charles American Press, Jim Gazolo. Jim, good morning to you, bud. How are you today?
6: I, I'm fine, but I, I cover it like no one else because no one else covers it.
1: <laughs> but I was trying to give you a compliment. But way to take that and run with it the opposite direction.
6: That's <laughs> all right. That's what I do.
1: <laughs> all right, buddy. Let's talk. Let's 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 talk softball first because they were tested. Uh, Coach Landrino's team, at the conference tournament early on, needed extra innings to kind of escape upsets. They're able to do so, and they win the conference tournament, punch their ticket to a regional, and they're a three seed, not a four seed, up in the Evanston Regional. Uh, How do you like how this team finished off the conference tournament, and do you give them any chance up in Evanston?
6: I think they'll win some games there. I think they'll win a game there at least. But that's not—they've won games before. They really need to make an impact and a run. Uh, The thing about them is, since 2016, we've had 12 championships in the league, regular season and tournament. This is their eighth, so they've become the dominant team, and that's why they got the three C because they're now they're getting dividends paid. For all those games they play early in the year against power teams. It's starting to pay off as they're starting to get some recognition. Um, but I like I like the fact that the NCAA moves people around for once. And we don't have everybody in the South, everybody in the North. Everybody, uh, we have some division. And they get to play teams that they haven't seen before. You know, they open with Notre Dame. There's uh, no better brand than that to uh, go against and try to make a name for yourself.
1: They've only played Notre Dame once before. I do believe that was 2003 that they faced off the Cowgirls yeah. and the Fighting Irish. And and look, I like that too. I was surprised that the NCAA did that because traditionally they always keep the teams close, right? Because yeah, they, they, li- they like the teams and their fans to be able to go to the games and keep it. Last year, remember, we had McNeese, LSU, and UL all in one regional in Baton Rouge. Yeah, m- which yeah. which makes things convenient yeah. for us in the sports biz. But I did like the fact that they sent them everywhere. It's also the first time, Jim, that McNeese is going to be taking part in a regional outside the state of Louisiana and the state of Texas. They've never done that before. Yeah, so this is so, a huge deal for and them.
6: That's, yeah, this is this is exciting for them. And again, they're trying to. They've done a good job at bringing people in. UNLV came in this year. Boise State came in this year. People have come here. This is kind of exposing him to some other situations, to some other opportunities. And I, I, like I said, I like the fact that the NCAA didn't say, we're going to throw everybody in the same region like we always have. We're going to kind of divide it up. We're going to treat it more like an NCAA tournament basketball where we actually see people and move people around and get different kind of different areas exposed to different types of games. They're playing three teams that are are essentially – Midwestern teams that play Midwestern ball. It'll be interesting to see how they balance out that.
1: What's the big difference when we watch this regional for the Cowgirls? You you mentioned they play Midwestern ball. How different is softball up in the Midwest compared to what we're accustomed to seeing here in Louisiana and down south?
6: Uh, Well, with Notre Dame, it'll be more power ball, um, whereas McNeese is going to be more athletic, more running, more small ball, more button run. Notre Dame will play power ball for the most part, uh, trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Um, then you've got uh, Northwestern, who's the number one seed there. They they are a pitching uh, powerhouse, so you're gonna have pitching, pitching, pitching. So it's three different brands of baseball, of softball, right there. Uh, and I think that's kind of interesting. It's this this will be these will be maybe the most athletic of the three teams of the four teams but they're going to have to go up against teams and get the ball out of the ballpark.
1: We're talking with Jim Gazzolo. He covers McNeese Athletics for the Lake Charles American Press. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, you like their chances to win a couple of games. Do you like their chances to start off the regional with a win over Notre Dame? And if you if do, if you do, how do they need to make that happen?
6: Uh, They need, they need to score early and put pressure on it and, and use their speed and their small game to pressure Notre Dame's defense. Like I said, Notre Dame's not as athletic, so putting pressure on their defense, make them make plays, they may be able to steal a couple of runs early. Uh, I don't know if they'll beat Notre Dame. That's going to be – Notre Dame can do one thing very well. They could swing the bat and hit a three-run homer, and all of a sudden you're chasing them. So getting out to a lead, really, and keeping, keeping runners off the base so you get solo home runs, limit the damage when they do hit the ball, uh, is going to be the key.
1: McNeese has had great amount of success with their softball cr- program for a while, even before Landrino came, and he's been able to continue yeah. that and his keep it rolling. Uh, but when you have a program like this that continually gets into the NCAA regionals, uh, bigger schools tend to come calling. Do you expect him to stick around, or do you think there's a possibility he could be poached this offseason?
6: Now, there's always the possibility because money talks, but I think both him and, and Justin Hill in baseball, they're family first guys, and both of them have kids that are still in the school system. So I'm, I'm not sure. McNeese has also done a good job of giving them more money over the years. It used to be where you could always steal a McNeese uh, coach financially pretty easy. Um, they, they got they got extensions last year. They got bonuses, so it's a little tougher. But a lot of that's going to be the family. If you stay at McNeese, it's because of family. Uh, I, I got to be honest; it's not. It, it, the money will be there if you want to go. So yeah, I think people will come looking. Uh, the last three coaches look at where they're at. Um, one, one went to Ole Miss. One went to Virginia. Um, I I forget where the third one went to. Um, But they're all power five. That's where they go. And so it it is a place where you can make your name and go.
1: I'm glad you brought up Justin Hill because the baseball team had its ups and downs, dealt with injuries, dealt with inconsistent pitching, yet they found a way at the end to win the regular season championship for the first time since, I guess, what, 2017. Uh, What was the turning point? for Justin Hill's baseball team this year, Jim.
6: Uh I think it's the same I think it's the back to back walk offs after being swept at New Orleans, the grand slam uh, by Cade Morris. Um and that kind of ignited them to a twelve they went twelve and three down the stretch of the conference after a three and six start. Um and and that I think was the key that and they kind of settled on an on a lineup. And when they settled on their lineup and got Cade Hunter into the lineup at the three spot, this, this offense took off. I mean, they they won the conference uh, batting title by three by by twelve points. Uh, they scored in the last four games. I think they've outscored them. I did the numbers sixty four to eleven, or sixty nine to eleven, or twelve, or something like that. Uh, three of them were seven inning uh, run rule games. They came back from a 7 nothing deficit the first inning the other day to win the championship. They have a lot of firepower different ways. They have three of the top six hitters in the league uh, average-wise. They hit 50 home runs. Um, they're going to they're gonna score, and it's a league that does not have a lot of pitching. They have the most options pitching. They actually led the league in ERA, too. But they have the most options in pitching. In other words, they have the most arms down there to get you through a long weekend, or a tournament. Uh, they don't have the best starters or the best anything, but they do have the longest – I think they have the longest staff.
1: They get to host the conference tournament at least half the bracket. The other half will be in Hammond at Southeastern Louisiana. You know, th- that's could be a great advantage for this team, or, or it could not be. I mean, they, they lost to Houston Baptist in the opening series at the Joe – And there's also the distractions that come from being at home, right? And dealing with all of that, but it seems like Hill is pretty optimistic and is excited about hosting the tournament there at the Joe. Uh, Do you think this is a positive or negative for this year's Cowboys team?
6: Well, I think, I think it's a positive for this team. They're 22 and 14 at home. Um, but they have lost two series at home. Right. And, uh, that's, that's one thing that they've got to look at. Uh, but I think that the key for them is they get this, and then if they win, they get uh, to host the championship series because they're on the number one seed. The key for them really is, does Grant Rogers in the opening game give them a like, so they can set up their bullpen and their pitching rotation for the rest of the game, for the rest of the tournament? When he struggled on Friday nights, they've struggled at the back end of series. When he's been good on Friday nights, they have enough weapons in the back to patch together Sunday afternoon. That's your third game. That's your title game. That's your elimination games. So Rogers to me is the key. Can he give them link? Can he give them seven innings?
1: Wrapping up our conversation here with Jim Gazzolo of the late Charles American Press. He covers Min East and, Athletics. You know, and he joins us here on RP three and company. Could have history made as well, Jim, on Thursday when they take on Incarnate Word. A win over the number 8 seed for McNeese skipper Justin Hill would tie him with the late, great Tony Robichaud for the most wins in program history. And then, obviously, he could break it on Friday. Just how big of a deal is this record? I know he's downplayed it. He says he's not really focused on it. He doesn't want to dwell on it but you know how this community feels about Tony and how that yeah. university feels about Tony and what he's meant to them. How big of a deal is this?
6: Well, I think mean, it's a huge deal for the fact that it solidifies that what he's accomplished here as well. Um, but really, it, it ties into the whole Robichaux building, the program, and what he meant here. And he is, of all the guys that have come through here, guys that have come through here have gone to Ole Miss. They've gone to Wichita State. They've gone to places. He's really because he stayed, because he was always a part of it. And he always made himself a part of the program, too. Um, It's a big deal because of the name recognition. And it's also a nice deal for Hill, who, you know, let's be realistic. You mentioned it. D1 Baseball has him as one of the four or five candidates for uh, a two-lane job. Um it would, you know, it would be, I think, satisfaction for him to say, you know, I've I've been able to accomplish some things here. Um, obviously, would have already been done, and I've been for the COVID year. But you know, he has in every year but one outside of the COVID year, he's had thirty wins. So he's been a uh, a very quiet because he's very very. I like to say he's very CEO, very buttoned down. Where you go with Landrondo, who looks like he's always in the dentist chair when he's watching a game are playing a game it's just two completely different personalities but two completely different ways of winning and they both build programs that are have been sustainable which is surprising through two hurricanes
1: all right but i'll get you out of here with this last year both softball and baseball made an ncaa regional will the mcneese baseball team join the softball team in a regional this year
6: uh wow um i would I would say percentages would tell me no. Uh, but if, as long as they get a good Friday night, or as long as they get a first game this night, I think they'll get to the championship series. After that, i got to see who they're playing. Um, but they did sweep Southeastern, so that would be an interesting rematch. Jim. That for, a, for a no comment. <laughs>
1: <But>. <laughs> well, nice, nice, very nice, bud. Appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you out at the Joe on Thursday night, bud. That's Jim Gazolo of the Lake Charles American Press talking all things McNeese with us. Once again, Justin Hill can tie Tony Robichaud as the all-time wins leader there at McNeese with a win Thursday night, and then can obviously break it Friday night in the second round of the conference tournament there for the Southland Conference. Hey, just a reminder, Lafayette Marble and Granite, my friends, They are the South's largest cultured marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. And look, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms. They can also take your outdoor living area or your man cave and help transform that into the envy of your neighborhood. You love having people over in the neighborhood or family and friends over on game days in the fall, don't you, to cheer on the Cowboys or the Cajuns or the Tigers or the Saints. Why not do it in style? Go visit my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite. Visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday morning. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their showroom, located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Fort. Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it. They will. We've got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, we'll update the poll question of the day. Where do you think the Pels are going to land tonight with the NBA draft lottery? And we'll close out hour number two. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette, One zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Uh, Update on the poll question of the day. Where will the Pelicans land with tonight's NBA lottery? Once again, 8 o'clock will be the lottery. Also, first game of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Celtics and the Heat will be going on as well. But where will the Pelicans land? They have that pick from the Lakers. 44% of you say they're going to land between 6 and 10. 36% of you say picks 2 through 5, which would be great for this team. 10% of you say picks 10 through 14 or... 10% 10% of you say number one overall pick. I love that. Love that. Tyson says, correct me if I'm wrong, if a team is not selected for one of the first four picks, they draft in inverse order based on record. So if Pels don't get one of the first four picks, they would select eighth. Guess if teams with lesser odds get lucky and move to top four, it would move Pels between nine and 12, worst case scenario. I'm not for sure, Tyson. I will look into that. That is a good, good question, though. Steve on Twitter says, I need a tweet from the person who knows this for certain. Could you please give me the Mega Million numbers for tonight? Todd has responded to Steve to help him out. Numbers 1, 11, 2, 22, 9, Megaplyer 69. <laughs> Robert says, if they get a top five pick in Healthy Zion, they will be really dangerous team next season. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number two's come to a close. Hour number three, we're going to kick it off with the latest recruiting news with Jarrett Rozier. That's next, right here on The Game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: All right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
1: Welcome back to RP3 and Company. 8.03 on the clock final hour has arrived on this jam-packed Tuesday edition of the show we've covered a lot of topics for you today Houston Astros they lost last night but that's not the real story from yesterday's or yesterday evening's game rather at Fenway Park Jake Odorizzi suffers a severe injury stepping off of the mound to go cover first bl- first base in the game he dramatically falls down flat on his face had to be taken off the field on a stretcher. Astros are claiming it is a lower leg injury. He was in a walking boot and on crutches afterwards. Dusty Baker says they're awaiting results of an MRI. Probably is some sort of ligament tear in his knee. The good thing for the Strohs is that they have so much pitching depth that Jacob Odorizzi was really their number five pitcher in their six-man rotation Is it going to be something that they'll have to overcome? Absolutely, but it's not like losing Justin Verlander. Plus, Lance McCullers Jr. will be returning sometime this season. Still, bad news for the Strohs. Let's talk a lot of college baseball, obviously. LSU wrapping up their regular season with a game tonight versus Northwestern State at Alex Box Stadium. You can listen to that game live right here on the game. First pitch, 6.30. And then they'll go on the road to take on Vandy for a three-game set up in Nashville. They need to put together some wins this weekend and at the conference tournament to get back to possibly hosting a regional, even though I think it's unlikely. Raging Cajuns baseball plays tonight at the Teague. They welcome in Nichols for their final midweek game of the year. They need to string together some wins as well and make a run in their conference tournament if they even want to get into an NCAA regional. And, of course, McNeese. Begins Southland Conference Tournament play Thursday at the Joe. They're hosting the conference tournament, at least half the bracket. And Justin Hill has an opportunity to tie Tony Robichaux for most wins all time in McNeese baseball history. That could happen Thursday night. And, of course, we covered NBA playoffs as well. Conference finals begin tonight. Miami-Boston, that's going to be an evenly matched series. Two teams that play defense. Neither team has a quote-unquote superstar, but they have a lot of dudes, right? They have a lot of really good dudes. Dogs, if you will. They go out there. They're going to get after it. Kyle Lowry, is he going to be able to go? That's a question mark for Miami. Advantage Boston there. So we'll see. That tips off tonight. Also, NBA draft lottery is tonight eight o'clock where will the Pels land that leads us to our poll question of the day go vote on that where do you think the Pels are going to land with tonight's NBA draft lottery but right now it's time for us here to talk all things recruiting it's been a busy few days or last week rather in terms of recruiting for both LSU and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and to break it all down for us is our good friend Jarrett Rozier Jarrett good morning to you brother how are you my friend
7: not too bad, Ray. How are you doing this week?
1: It's already a jam-packed, busy week, and it's only Tuesday, my friend. But that's just a normal week for you. you you're Mr. Worldwide, so, you know, when you, you, you're you you, that's what happens. All right, let's get to it. Big past week in the world of recruiting. Let's start off with LSU. They got a pair of commitments the last few days, the stud running back up, in northern Louisiana, Trey Holly from Union Parish, which I do believe used to be Farmerville High School, and they also got a defensive back from California. What can you tell us about what Brian Kelly has been able to snag on the recruiting trail?
7: Yep, Sunday, Trey Holly from Union Parish, which is the old Farmerville High. They're still the Union Parish Farmers, which might be just as funny as as Farmerville Farmers. And then <laughs> Dalen Austin, a, a cornerback from uh, Long Beach. Poly High in uh, Southern California on Monday. Two guys that are extremely highly ranked in rivals' top national prospects. Trey was number 85 in the most recent rankings update. Dalen Austin number 135, and I mean Brian Kelly and his staff just continue to have a really nice spring recruiting nationally, which I think, you know, if if folks here locally look back a couple years there may be some mixed feelings about it but the five commitments now this spring have all been from five different states Trey Holly, the first commitment from in-state under the new staff for this 2023 class he joins Omarion Miller who had committed last summer and stuck with it despite the coaching change and he's a guy that has been one of the most productive running backs in Louisiana high school history he's within 900 yards of Nick Brosette's record. Uh, Nick, who is now on staff at LSU. And when Trey has had a chance to visit Baton Rouge and spend some time with Frank Wilson, and now most recently, Nick Brossett, uh, since that addition to their recruiting staff over the last month, he's, he just continued to feel more and more at home. And that representing the home state was uh, a place where he wanted to be despite offers from all over the country. And then the next day you had all the way out to the West Coast for a, a California commitment. An, another guy who has offers from all over the country. Dalen Austin is a fast, physical, uh, and for his high school, a versatile um, athlete. He's the nephew of former NFL defensive end and, and linebacker William McGinnis. Had an offer from Willie's alma mater right there in Southern California with the Trojans as well as offers all over the country, Alabama, Georgia, Penn State, Michigan State, some others that were were pretty notable. But even with some of the coaching changes uh, at LSU, Dalen Austin said, that's DBU. I want to go be a part of the tradition there of, of developing defensive backs and sending them to the NFL and now work under an assistant in Robert Steeples, who's going to be working with the cornerbacks, or is working with the cornerbacks, who has some NFL experience in his own right. And so – two great additions for LSU in, in the span of uh, right about 24 hours.
1: Let's talk about the basketball side of things because, look, we've talked about Mac McMahon and, and his staff being able to kind of rebuild this roster on the fly and being able to recruit and get after guys. But they've also done a nice job of getting guys to come out of the transfer portal that were part of the LSU team and convince them to come back. Another one happened on Friday. When Adam Miller decided that he was going to withdraw and stay put in Baton Rouge,
7: yeah, we have a, a couple pieces up on Tiger details the last several days. I'd been working on one, really kind of deep diving into the job that McMahon and company have done rebuilding that roster, uh, and just kind of the mix of of sources they've brought talent in from, and then also a, a couple posts. Uh, with with Adam Miller, we had a chance to hop on zoom and and chat some about his perspective Friday after he made the announcement. He's a guy that was he arrived from Illinois this time last year. Uh, He's he's a Chicago area native had a fantastic freshman season as a big rotation piece for the Illini and then transferred down to Baton Rouge and was expected to be one of the top players for the Tigers this year. But last October, Uh, has an ACL injury just weeks before the season started. And it really kind of changed the complexion of certainly the early season for the Tigers. They kind of had to adjust some things without, without Adam. And so he's been rehabbing that. And in the meantime, watching everything unfold around him, some of the ups and downs through the season and, you know, all the speculation regarding will Wade, then the coaching change, the entire rest of the roster ends up either entering the transfer portal or the NBA draft. And Adam was one of the last guys who actually did enter the transfer portal and one of the last guys waiting to make a decision and had come down to either sticking with LSU or heading to TCU where Jamie Dixon was Miller's coach with the the Team USA under-19 team at the FIBA World Cup last summer uh, when when he was – in the process of transferring to LSU and he said at the end of the day he he kind of felt like he wanted to stick with LSU throughout he felt like there was some unfinished business he was very appreciative of the way people here stuck with him through his injury process over this last year and so he was looking forward to making his debut in purple and gold and once he had a chance to spend some time with coach McMahon and company that some things kind of clicked and and he felt a a level of confidence in this new staff that he wanted to be a part of what they were building uh, and you know, the one holdover from last year's staff is Tasman Mitchell, former LSU standout who went through an injury and a coaching change and all of these things. And, and was a voice that, that kind of told Adam, you know, the fan base here can be really great and they really love a guy who sticks with some things through adversity. And so Adam Miller's hoping that he can be a guy that, becomes a fan favorite here when he's actually able to finally make his long overdue debut this fall with a new coaching staff.
1: We're talking with Jarrett Rozier, talking all things recruiting here on RP3 and company. Let's shift gears to the raging Cajuns. It was a slow start to the 2023 football cycle for Coach Dez, but things have been getting, uh, have started to ramp up. They got a commitment from a defensive back out of Texas over the weekend, and then they added a transfer defensive back just last night. What's the latest you can tell us with the Raging Cajuns?
7: Yeah, Dez and company are, are doing a nice job in recent weeks, both finishing off some some final key pieces to the 2022 class that'll be uh, on campus here shortly, as well as starting off the 2023 class. I you know we talked about the, the Texas receiver last week, Justin Williams, who was the first guy that was showing up on all the, the commitment lists for the Cajuns, but actually a, a guy here in Baton Rouge a twenty twenty-three running back from Woodlawn Baton Rouge had committed during the middle of the NFL draft and a lot of a lot of other movement. And so we'd missed him. But Javion Haynes is a a track fast running back for uh, you know, a quarterback that at Woodlawn that we've talked about, Ricky Collins, and and a really strong passing attack. And Javion is gonna step in and take the lead running back role this year. Is a really good receiver out of the backfield. I mentioned that track speed. He's got listed a, a 4 3, 6 40 and a 10-700 meter uh, on the track. And so he's a, a pretty dynamic piece that I think you're looking at probably a breakout season this fall and that Des and company are a little bit uh, ahead on him uh, and, and that his recruitment is still just getting ready to pick up this summer and fall. And then over the last few days, a couple of defensive back commitments for the 2022 class with a high school guy, Denim Day out of College Station, and a a transfer from Youngstown State in Keon Martin. And so you bring in a, a really, Denim Day, you watch him, and he's he's also got really good track speed. I have his 100 meter at 10.75, and his 200 meter at 21.39, uh, 21.39 seconds. And you can see that speed play out on his film, very light on his feet, quick on his feet, um, and Uh, quick change of direction and and get after guys uh, just blankets receivers and then Keon Martin a little bit more experienced guy played two years at Youngstown State was one of their better defensive players the last couple of years a guy from Fort Lauderdale that was looking for a a bigger college opportunity after a couple of years up there with Youngstown and and so he ends up being uh, a big addition here late in that 2022 cycle for Coach Des and company.
1: What do you think the biggest need for them moving forward with the remainder of the cycle? Because they had a small class for 2022, 2023. What are some of the big positions of need that they need to make sure to fill?
7: Yeah, I'd have to look a little bit more closely at at the Cajuns roster with, with some of that shuffle and and also get a little bit of look at the, the numbers game because they, they may still have a couple of uh, nice additions here to make over the summer. They and LSU, I think, still have a, a couple of spots that they can – fill over these next few weeks if they can find uh the right guy um and i'm a little bit more familiar with the the tigers overall roster you know depth chart look right now than than what the cajuns have going but um i think those are both going to be programs that not only for what they're trying to build with this 2023 class where it should be an active summer, you're still looking at a, a couple of, of final pieces here for 2022 uh, moving forward. Again, sooner than later, um, but but a couple of, of pieces here late in the cycle still.
1: We'll wrap it up with this, but So much attention is paid to Arch Manning, and we all know why. Some of it deservedly so, some of it not. Give me a guy that's not Arch Manning, that's still uncommitted, that you're keeping an eye on that you're doing like daily checkups or every few days you're checking up on to see if he's going to make be making a decision yet for the 2023 class.
7: Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of a lot of 2023 even nationally has kind of been in a wait and see mode with with Arch but even sticking with that quarterback position, a guy that we've talked about before, Eli Holstein at Zachary High is, I think, also one of the top national quarterbacks. And I think more and more people are starting to raise his stock up up their respective recruiting boards and being fairly recently decommitted from Texas a and he's, he's kind of wide open again, and, and LSU is back in play with him more than they have been at you know, at maybe any point in his recruitment, at least since very early on. And a lot of the top prospects around the state for 2023 are still uncommitted. If you go down my list of of rankings for prep red zone, you have those two quarterbacks are one and two for me. Shelton Sampson, a guy that I just wrote with rivals a couple of days ago. I think he lands with LSU by the end of it, but he's planning a really busy summer uh, to go visit. Alabama, A&M, and a lot of the other top national programs, Jaden Osbury, whose brother just signed with Auburn in December, but has remained heavily recruited by LSU, Michigan, and, and others and said that he and his brother are not a package deal. He's going to kind of weigh his options and then rounding out the top five, Tackett Curtis up at Manny, someone that this new LSU staff has tried to make a late push with, but I think has still kind of an uphill battle to to keep him from heading to a Michigan and Ohio State, a a Wisconsin, uh, a Stanford out west, and some of these other programs. But uh, 2023, a lot of Louisiana's top prospects are still still open, other than now Trey Holly and Amarion Miller and a couple of others. Uh, so it should be a really active summer.
1: Jarrett, appreciate you, Tom, as always, brother. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday, bud.
7: Sounds good, man. Y'all have a great draft lottery day. Catch y'all later.
1: Hey, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with tickets. That's right, to a special sneak peek of Top Gun Maverick. That's right, the highly anticipated sequel. You can see it before anyone else by simply texting Top Gun to 68683. That's Top Gun to 68683 to score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek May 26th. At the Celebrity Theater in Broussard, that's just a few weeks away, guys. It's the Top Gun sneak peek preview brought to you by Big Boy Toys and Hobbies and the Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Once again, if you want to score tickets for a special sneak preview of Top Gun Maverick, simply text Top Gun to six eight six eight three. We got to take a timeout. We'll update the poll question of the day when we come back. You want to get your phone calls in give us a holler game hotlines open 337-706-0111 you're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station soccer isn't this
0: great man I love soccer here we go galaxy here we go okay maybe not soccer But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Oh, the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Domes coming back May 26th to June the 5th. And look, if you got little ones like I do, huh, ride tickets can get expensive. That's why we want to hook you up with a family four-pack of ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair. But here's the thing. You just got to pick up your phone. Hopefully, not right now if you're driving. If you're in a stationary position, that's when you should do it. But simply text... CHSF. CHSF to 68683 to win a family four pack of ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair, which is coming back to the Cajun Dome later this month, starting May 26th, running through June the 5th. Once again, that's CHSF to 68683 to win a family four pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair. Man, you can have a good time at the state fair now. Trust me on that. Let's check in on our poll question of the day. We're going to preview the conference finals in the NBA and talk a little bit about the NBA draft lottery. In just a few minutes, when Ali Cassell from the Bird Rights, our good friend, joins us here on RP3 and Company. But right now, we want to check in on the poll question of the day because we asked you, where do you think the Pels are going to land tonight with NBA's lottery. That's going to be at 8 o'clock. Pels, they have the Los Angeles Lakers pick. That's why they have a lottery pick, even though they made the playoffs, because they have the Lakers pick through the Anthony Davis trade from a few years back. So, where will the Pelicans land with tonight's NBA lottery? 44% of you right now say they're going to land somewhere between picks six and 10. 32% say, you could see them have a top five pick, picks two through five. And 12% of you say the number one overall pick. And 12% of you say at the back end of the lottery, picks 10 through 14. Darren on the Twitter says, Z just wants to get paid. That's why he keeps dunking on camera. If the Pels pay him a max deal, big mistake. If they don't get a top three pick, I would trade Zion for some pieces before I pay him. If he gets injured again, you're tied up for years and an an untradeable injury-prone guy. Here's the thing, D. I know you're not a fan of Zion. We've had this discussion before on the air and on social. The New Orleans Pelicans, David Griffin, is not trading Zion Williamson. They're going to offer him the max. He's going to sign the max, and he's going to take the massive deal. Whether or not it works out down the road, whether or not Zion can stay healthy is irrelevant. They are going to give him the max. They've already said it. All the people I trust say it's going to happen. Zion's going to get the big payday. That's going to happen. They're not going to trade him because when he was healthy for the one year, I know he hasn't played two of his first three years. I get it. I understand where you're coming from, but they're not going to trade him. He's an all-star that's like 22 years old. They're not going to trade him. It's just not going to happen. They're going to give him the the max, going to pay him a ton of money and hope that he stays happy and he stays healthy. That's just the reality of the situation. Dat Cajun says, if the Pelicans don't get the number one pick, I expect them to trade Zion and the pick for the number one. Zion doesn't want to be in New Orleans no matter what him and his family say. And Darren likes that, of course, with the famous gif of pointing to the head. David Griffin's not going to trade Zion Williamson. Zion may not be happy. You may be correct in saying that it's all a show from him and his family. You're not going to get value back for trading Zion Williamson right now. You're just not. You're not going to get value back. You're not going to get value back. And Griffin is stubborn, and Griffin believes that Zion is the centerpiece for building long-term success in New Orleans. That is what he believes. So once again, whether that makes logical sense or not is irrelevant. He believes it. That's what he believes. He believes that Zion's the centerpiece of the Pelicans moving forward and that they can build around him, and that this year's playoff team, you add Zion to the mix, you have a team that can be a top-four team in the West and be a contender. That's what David Griffin believes. That's why he drafted Zion. That's why he's going to give him the max. I know Pelicans fans don't want to see that. You think it's a mistake. I get it. But it's not going to happen. Sorry, just not. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on Twitter and Facebook for our poll question of the day. But we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Ali Cassell joins us from the Bird Rights. We're going to preview conference finals for the NBA playoffs and talk about the lottery. That's all coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: Pierre the Pelican and the King Cake Baby consider him a close personal friend. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends
7: that anyone could have.
0: Or at least a Facebook friend or MySpace friend. Is MySpace still a thing? I wonder what Tom is up to these days. He's desperate. He'd sleep with a meat grinder. Time for some more friendly Pelicans talk on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: don't go through another summer with that awful joint pain call qc kinetics right now hey it's raymond parts the better known as rp3 that pain in your back your knees your shoulder it can now be treated with the latest in precision medicine using natural biologics growth factors that can restore and repair damaged tissue really exciting stuff qc kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine giving you access right here to this modern day joint pain solution you can get lasting joint pain relief with no drugs, no steroids, no downtime, and guess what? No surgery. You've heard Emmett Smith raving about QC Kinetics. You've read or seen other high-profile people talking about it. Regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can help you get your life back. Take action right now. Get a free consultation. Powerful, effective joint pain treatments with natural biologics are here. Call QC Kinetics right now. 337 243 Forty-two twenty-two. That's 337 243 4222 Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Where do you believe the New Orleans Pelicans will land tonight inside the lottery? It's going to be happening at 8 o'clock live from Chicago to talk more about the pels chances with the ping-pong balls and to preview the NBA conference finals for the East and the West is our good friend from the Bird Rights, Ollie Cassell, joins us now on RP3 and Company. Ollie, good morning to you, bud. How you doing, my friend?
2: Good morning, Raymond. I'm doing great. NBA lottery night. And you know, Pelicans have the same exact odds of moving up to grab the number one pick like they did in 2019. I don't have to remind anybody of what happened then, do I?
1: <laughs> no, bud. You don't have to. You don't have to. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So they, they have the same odds as they did back then. And this is due to having the Lakers pick. But but explain this to me. Are there any type of, I, I don't know, requirements or things? Because we've been asked about this. If they don't get a top four pick, does that automatically push them down in the lottery because of, of the Lakers pick? How does that work? Can you can you clear that up for me?
2: Sure. No worries. No, I, the Lakers pick is going to become the Pelicans unless the worst-case scenario happens. And that, that would require three teams to jump over New Orleans. And that would push him down to at least 11. And since it's protected 1 through 10, well, then that pick would go to the Grizzlies. So, no, the only thing you have to worry about, honestly, is just where the ball likely ends up. And the, the biggest odds is they're going to stay right where they are. The Lakers finished with the eighth-worst record. Well, the Pelicans' best chance of landing a pick is at number eight. It's about 34.5%. The only way it's going to move down at all is, like I said, teams behind them and the lottery start moving up, right? They start moving up into the top four. And there's a decent chance they'll drop one, uh, according to the odds, to where um, they would move down to nine. But other than that, it, it feels really safe that it's going to be eight or nine. Or the next best thing is they're going to move up into the top four. Those are the three likeliest scenarios tonight.
1: Well... What depends tonight in Chicago with the ping pong balls? Is that going to determine what David Griffin does with that pick? And what I mean by that, Ollie, is if you have a top four pick, you're more than likely going to you know, take a guy and add a foundational piece. If you're a top ten, you could possibly trade that pick depending on where you fall. What do you think Griff leads, uh, leans on that? rather?
2: I think the Pelicans are going to end up keeping the pick no matter where it ends up. This is probably going to be their last swing. Had a good lottery pick um, because everybody's expecting for the team to start making the playoffs consistently. So their own picks, chances are they're, of course, all going to be finishing outside the lottery. And anything that the Pelicans own, you can't foresee that the Lakers and the Bucks. this will happen to them again because the Pelicans have a couple of the Bucks' future picks, and I think they've got at least one more Lakers pick. So like I said, you just don't expect for this scenario to unfold and therefore getting that cheap, good talent through the draft. So I think they're going to keep this one because they still have some holes. And, uh, look, this roster is about to get really expensive, Raymond, and the best way to add good talent is through the draft, right, because it comes at a cost-controlled uh, on a cost-controlled basis.
1: Some of the top prospects, I know you've already looked at this, you've already done some analysis. Who do you believe that could be a top-ten pick in the uh, NBA draft would be a good fit for what New Orleans wants to do moving forward?
2: I'm looking at Wings, and I'll be honest with you, I have fallen in love with the thought of somehow getting Shaden Sharp to New Orleans. He didn't play at all in college this year. You know, he was red-shirted in Kentucky, and uh, he was supposed to play next year, but it looks like he's going to end up going into the draft. He's declared himself uh, for this upcoming draft, but he's a guy that's like six, 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 seven. Can handle the ball, can shoot it extremely well, and I think that's what you need, right? The Pelicans, I probably, if, if you're them, you want to definitely get some more shooting, and I, th- I think he has that best combination of skills of being an impact player. So I almost like him even more than Jaden Ivey. Um, I've been looking at too much film, I think, Raymond. But besides him, I also like Benedict Matherin out of Arizona. Um, there's Afaji from Kansas. There, there, there's a few good players. Right, they're sitting out there. So it'll be interesting to see do the Pelicans go for, like like I said, a wing that can really spread the four. Because last year, you know, they, they finished 27th with three-point shooting percentage. And watching these playoffs, look, Dallas and uh, Boston ended up where they are currently because of how great they've shot the ball. R- really, there's no bones about it. To get far into the playoffs, more than likely, you're going to have to be able to stretch that floor and be able to knock down that three. And right now the Pelicans can do that.
1: You mentioned this roster is about to get uh, a little bit more expensive. When can we expect the uh, extension, max extension to be made to Zion this
2: offseason? July 1st. That's when free agency opens up the moratorium and the Pelicans can get uh, an agreement with him. 12 or, or excuse me, it used to be 1201. I'm still used to the times when the free agency would start at midnight, but no, earlier in the day. Uh, on July the 1st, and I expect that to be completed. Adrian Wojnarowski, Shams, Trania, they're all going to be tweeting it within the first few minutes after a free agency starts. You just have to expect it to happen.
1: We're talking with Ollie Cassell. He's the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's shift gears and let's talk about the conference finals. I'm not stunned in the East that Boston was able to beat Milwaukee. Giannis is special. But without Chris Middleton, that team is a different team and Boston has a little bit better depth and that helped them get through a very physical and entertaining seven-game series. How do you like the matchup between Boston and Miami, though, because they seem very evenly matched, very evenly matched, very well coached?
2: Exactly. Look, I I, I had picked about two weeks ago that the winner of the whole NBA finals is going to come from that matchup between the Bucks and the Celtics. Well, Celtics are the one that emerged, so I'm still favoring them. I know Miami's, you know, they're they're as tough as anybody defensively, but I just wonder can they score the ball well enough? You know, Jimmy Butler can get to his spots, but they all they all come in the mid range. Teams have been known to be able to hold him outside of his comfort zone and that'll be a problem. Other than him, it's really just Tyler Hero that you can rely on. Kyle Lowry, he's been hurt. Um, and, and the rest of their roster, you can't really rely on them. They require to be set up. I mean, Duncan Robinson isn't even getting playing time right now because Max Struess is ahead of him. So it doesn't feel like Miami's been playing at their best, um, as, as they were, like, say, during the middle portion of the regular season. Boston, on the other hand, they're flying high, aren't they, Raymond? I mean, yeah. look, you had a career night from Grant Williams. In game four, was at Al Horford? So besides Jalen Brown and um, Jason Tatum, they've got a lot of guys playing well.
1: So you like the Celtics to win this series. What, what are you predicting?
2: I do. I'm going to say it probably goes six. That, that seems like a comfortable zone. I don't think Boston's going to do what they did to, like, uh, to Miami as they did to the Brooklyn Nets. But I also don't think it's going to go seven. I don't know. Miami just doesn't seem like they have enough firepower to me.
1: They don't, and I think Boston has more talent, even though both teams in a lot of ways are kind of mirror images because they both play tenacious defense. They both don't, neither one of them has a superstar, quote-unquote, right? They have a bunch of guys that are a bunch of dogs. My only X factor in this, and I'll ask you this, I agree with you, Cal Lowry not being there hurts, but Jimmy is a dog, right? And Mm -hmm. we've seen him do this before, where he's kind of stepped up and he can overtake a game. So is he the X factor? If Miami has any shot, do they need Jimmy just to go off for four games in this series?
2: They do. Kind of like they needed him to do that in the bubble. I don't know if everybody remembers, but Miami made it in the finals against the Lakers. And that that season, Jimmy Butler was carrying them everywhere. And it was impressive to watch. He was almost putting up those triple-doubles that you kind of are used to just seeing from, say, the LeBron James of the world. Um, and he has had those moments this year where he's played like that, but I'm just wondering if he can do it against this Boston defense. Watching that matchup between the Bucks and the Celtics, I haven't seen two teams play better defense, especially during these playoffs as those two did. Oh, I know. And Jason Tatum and Brown, and they've got others as well. They can lock you down, and they've got good help defenders. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Marcus Smart yet. So, no, I, I think Jimmy's going to be in for Ward, a little bit of a – are hurting because the Lakers in the bubble they didn't they weren't known for playing defense but this Boston Celtics team is
1: let's switch over to the West and I think that's the big surprise right we Phoenix was your number one overall seat in the West the defending Western Conference champs best record in the NBA they were tested by the Pills but then they go up 2-0 on the Mavericks and yet they still find a way to lose that series, and they lose it in just kind of pathetic fashion where they were just lifeless in Game 7, yet Chris Paul has a fifth series where he has been on a team that's been up two games to none and has lost the series. What do you make of what you saw from Phoenix and how they just whimpered out of the playoffs?
2: Well, it was ugly, and I wish the Pelicans would have gotten a chance to face that team, right? I mean, Game Seven, I, I didn't recognize them in the first quarter. They're running an offense that we didn't see against New Orleans, where Chris Paul dictated every single thing. He didn't do anything of the sort in Dallas uh, against Dallas. He he was just not even bringing the ball up the court. He was flipping it for somebody else to do it, and they weren't getting in their offense at all. Devin Booker was going to have going uh, against two two defenders at all times.
5: Um,
2: and after those first two games, Chris Paul didn't make any kind of impact. So you have to wonder: was he injured? Was he tired? I don't know. It just doesn't look like he's got it in him anymore to be able to make it through an entire playoff run, you know, healthy of being that same force as, of course, New Orleans Pelicans fans saw. So it was disappointing. I'll tell you what. It was such a negative loss, such a such a stinging loss to me that you have to wonder: Are they going to break up that team up a little bit? For instance, DeAndre Ayton, he, he's a, he's a free agent. I'm not certain that they're going to re-sign him because they they didn't offer him an extension last summer. And with the way that team peppered out and, you know, Aiton only played 17 minutes because he got in a little bit of a tiff, it looks like, with Monty Williams, there's some, you know, there's some lingering doubt there for sure. And I don't think we're ever going to see Phoenix, honestly, have this good of a position again. I don't think they're going to be in the finals, unfortunately, um, for Phoenix fans. I think the rest is going to get tougher. as to where they're going to keep declining because there's just not enough there for them to move up.
1: I mentioned earlier, Ollie, uh, earlier this month, that watching Luka play with this Mavs team, the way it's constructed, remind me of like early LeBron and, and Michael before they put together all the pieces there in Chicago, that he's clearly the best player on the court, but yet he didn't have enough supporting members around him. And mm-hmm. yet, here are the Mavericks. It seems they're, they're early, they're playing in the Western Conference Finals. Lucas Special, has he developed into a top-ten player in this league already?
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of people argue with you that it should be a lot higher than top-ten. you got to start at a minimum, probably top-five. And I think a lot of people would say top-three Um It'd be hard to disagree with him, right? Yeah, Luca, you know, in that game seven against the Suns, set that tone immediately. Now a couple threes, had another bucket, a quick eight points, and he was smiling the entire time, grinning at the Phoenix Suns like he already knew what the outcome was. Two minutes into the game, um, and you're right, he's unstoppable. And and he wasn't even he hasn't even been on fire from three point range in these playoffs. I think he's shooting about thirty three percent. Yeah, that's it. He, he's just able to do everything out there on the court. Now he's got Jalen Brunson, who's been really good. I mean, it's almost a blessing in disguise that Luka missed some time because all of a sudden Jalen Brunson's asserted himself and he's confident. He, he, he can get you 20 points and like seven assists. And that Spencer Dinwiddie, if they get anything from him like they did in game seven, whew, this Dallas team suddenly looks scary to where if the Warriors aren't playing well, and I did not think they played well in, in their series to get to this point um, against the Memphis Grizzlies, if they don't play really well, I think the Dallas honestly could move into the finals.
1: Let's talk about that. We'll wrap up our conversation about the Western Conference Finals because the Warriors did not play very good, uh, very well Rather, against Memphis, even without John Morant. They still struggled in a couple of those games, but they have the experience on their side. They have Steph. They have Clay. They have Draymond, and they've retooled that roster where they've added a couple other guys that understand their role, right? And they've been big contributors. Golden State's obviously the favorite to win, do you believe that the Warriors are going to move on and get back to the NBA Finals?
2: Uh, you know, I think it's honestly a toss-up to me. I think it's honestly that close. Going into the playoffs, I thought for certain, right, it was going to be the Warriors or the Suns. But after watching every team play and the Warriors, unless they really clean up their act, I think offensively, they're a little bit of a mess. They they, they have so many turnovers, unforced bad turnovers, yeah. to it reminds you of, the way they used to play before they really went on that dynasty type of run. It reminds you of the way the Pelicans were under Alvin Gentry, right? It's 17-18 like turnovers out of nowhere all of a sudden. And if you do that, you're limiting your scoring opportunities. And the other team, of course, is being very efficient, and they've got Luka Doncic. I don't know. It, it, like I said, Steph's going to have to play smarter. Clay's going to have to be more on point. And they, just, they can't make those turnovers. If they do that, then, yeah, I like their odds. But if they keep playing the way they did against the Grizzlies, I think Dallas will take that series.
1: Ollie, appreciate your time as always. Brother, enjoy the start of the Eastern Conference finals tonight. And, oh, by the way, NBA draft lottery time, bud. I know you're going to live it.
2: Heck, yeah. Look, Raymond, if they win tonight, that will mark three lottery wins in the last 11 years. Right? That, 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 that's unbelievable, but I hope it happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ollie, we'll talk to you next week, brother.
2: Yep. Have a good one, Raymond.
1: We gotta take a timeout. When we return here on RP Three and Company, we'll finalize the poll question of the day, give you the final results, and then we'll get you set up for Kevin Foot and footnotes. That's all coming up right here on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. <laughs> Uh, let's take a moment to thank our guests for making this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company tremendous. Jim Gozzolo, our buddy from the Lake Charles American Press, breaking down McNeese Softball and McNeese Baseball. Once again, softball teams in the Evanston Regional. They're the three seed. They got a chance. They got a chance. They've never won a regional before. They've won regional games, never have won a regional. They're trying to become the first Southland Conference team to do so. Also talked about baseball being at home once again. They're hosting the Southland Conference Tournament, half of the bracket there at the Joe starting on Thursday. And if McNeese wins as the number one overall seed on Thursday night, Justin Hill will tie Tony Robichaud for the most wins in McNeese baseball history. Also, shout out to Jarrett Rozier joining us, our buddy from Louisiana Prep Red Zone and Tiger Details, our recruiting analyst that we trust, giving us the latest insight in LSU football, basketball recruiting, and Raging Cajuns football recruiting, which is starting to ramp up multiple commitments over the last few days for Coach Dez and company. And, of course, Ali Cassell, our friend from the Bird Rights, editor-in-chief, talking NBA draft lottery, which is tonight, and, of course, previewing both the Eastern Conference Finals and the Western Conference Finals. Our poll question of the day. It's a good one. Where will the Pelicans land with tonight's NBA lottery? We got the clarification that I needed because I'm not that smart. Ali is smarter, and he educated us. So the only way the Pelicans don't have this lottery pick is if teams get in front of them and the lottery pick gets bumped out outside of the top ten. Then it goes to the Grizzlies, and the Pels will not have it. So that's the worst-case scenario. Best-case scenario is that they have the same percentage – that they did a few years ago to get the number one overall pick when they won it and got Zion Williams. So, we asked you, where will the Pelicans land with tonight's NBA lottery? Final results, 44% of you say they're going to land right where they're projected, between picks six and ten. 32% of you say they're going to jump into that top five. Hello. 12% say picks 10 through 14. Another 12% say the number one overall pick. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left their comments on both Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate you for that. Woo. Also, shout out to our contest winner. Huh? We gave away tickets to Downtown Rising this morning with our trivia question of the day, who threw the first no-hitter in Houston Astros history? Justin Johnson from Kaplan won the tickets shout out to justin hey tune in tomorrow you can score a pair of tickets to downtown rising as well because we'll give another pair away tomorrow morning here on rp3 and company for the producer extraordinaire miss hannah five names i'm raymond parts the third better known as rp3 we'll do it all again tomorrow six to nine but until then be safe out there be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.